Welcome to the Know and Love Podcast, where we discuss how to interpret the scriptures for everyday life in order to grow in our devotion to God and His Word. We are your hosts, Adam and Rachel Pereira, and we are so glad that you joined us today. Well, hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Know and Love podcast, and we have reached the final episode of season one. It's hard to believe. Yeah, and we are going to end this season asking a question, is the Bible for men only? Right, and I would say that the short answer to that is... No, Uh, no man or woman who understands the value, the purpose of scripture would openly say this. Uh, So it's going to be a pretty short episode, right? Yeah, we wanted to end the season to make up for the longer ones when we talked (laughs) through the covenants. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about it, but this episode is going to seek to point out some of the more subtle ways that maybe this message, the message that the Bible is for men only, um, can be shared or or indicated in the church. Now, uh, we, if you're familiar with uh, terms, we would call ourselves uh, complementarian, which means that we believe that um, eldership and teaching in an eldership role is limited to men scripturally. And I think that that does kind of add to this feeling for women that, okay, if the person that's going to be up there speaking in front of the church and opening God's word to us as the church body, if that's going to be a man, then maybe I'm off the hook as a woman. Yeah, I think uh, understanding that God has established certain roles for men and women, um, that's one thing, but then carrying that over and saying, okay, so therefore, um, uh, women do not have a responsibility to know and teach God's word. That's a, that's a very wrong conclusion. Exactly. So we're going to try to prove today, uh, starting way back at the beginning of, of the Bible, um, we're going to try to just approach Scripture and see how God has weaved women's stories, used women throughout all of Scripture and church history um, to just kind of encourage you with the idea that the Bible is not for men only. It is for men and women. So like I said, we're going to start way back at the beginning. Uh, We're going to look up some passages, but not all of them. Sometimes we'll just refer to them. But of course, before scripture was even written, um, we have the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve. And I would say that it's important to realize that Eve herself fellowshiped with God right alongside Adam. She had a relationship with him just like Adam did. Yeah, and in Genesis, um, God doesn't just kind of relegate um, the woman, Eve, as, as kind of a tag-along to Adam or mm-hmm. an optional extra that, okay, Adam's lonely, therefore I'm going to make him feel happy. No, uh, when the Bible uh, describes Eve and, and her creation from man and that she is meant to be a helper to Adam, uh, what the text is talking about is that she is meant to... Uh, to come alongside him and to help him um, in the mission that God has given them uh, to 
uh, extend God's glory as his image bearer. So she is actually to help come alongside Adam to accomplish that purpose God's given. And in, and in coming alongside him in that mission, she would need to know the character of God. She would need to be in regular relationship with him. Of course, just like we've talked about, that relationship was broken and everything got all Yeah, the fall distorted there, but, things, right, for right. sure. Um, but that I think that's the first example. I think it's important that both man and woman are right there at the beginning in fellowship with God. But then as we progress throughout scripture, um, we head into to the book of Exodus. And um, Adam, if you wouldn't mind reading from Exodus 1, 17 through 21. So this is right at the, the beginning of the book of Exodus, and we're finding um, Israel in uh, Egypt. And why don't you go ahead and read those verses, and then I'll, I'll bring out the point I want to make. Yeah, starting in verse 17 of chapter 1, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew strong. And because the midwives fear God, he gave them families. Yeah, so I love this first chapter of Exodus. Uh, I guess from a woman's standpoint, you notice God really using uh, women in his his story. This, of course, is under Pharaoh who had made the decree that um, these Israelite baby boys should be killed. Um, And what I didn't have you read was even back uh, in verse 15, I believe, um, a couple of these midwives were even named specifically Shephira, I guess is how you'd say it, and Pua. Um, some interesting Hebrew names there. That was her last name. Her first name was Winnie. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, there's a good Adam joke to, to finish this season. Um, so they're specifically named. God is specifically using these midwives even before he's going to officially form a people for himself, like we talked about back in the Mosaic Covenant. Um, he was using these women to go against Pharaoh's decree to kill these babies and instead rescue the babies. And that was going to be increasing the number and the strength of Israel. Yeah, that's right. And uh, we, we, we see even uh, in this role that, that God is using these women and, and even mothers in general, they're just uh, reemphasizing the importance of women in the storyline of the Bible, that, that God even uh, at times compares his actions, his care for uh, his people for Israel uh, in the act as the actions of a caring nursing mother. Um, so, so again, that goes right along with what you're saying in Exodus there mm-hmm. um, of the, the vital role that that women play, even to demonstrate the character of God. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's keep moving because I have lots of places in Scripture for us to go to. So that's uh, Eve before Scripture was written. During the writing of Scripture, we started with the Exodus midwives. Another example that I see is a little farther in the Old Testament in the book of Ruth. Um, this really gives us the perspective of women in God's story. Um Obviously, the entire book is named after a woman. Um, It's not called the Book of Boaz, um, but the story is just a beautiful picture of redemption, and it really features women from the very start. Um, Now, at the beginning, we do hear about Elimelech and um, 
Naomi and Elimelech's sons, Malon and Kilion. They were a part of the story in the first few verses, um, but they quickly disappear off the scene. All three of them um, die very early on. And that leaves Naomi and Ruth as the primary characters uh, for a real big chunk of the story before Boaz arrives. And if you know the story, ultimately, Ruth becomes a part of the royal line that we discussed in the Davidic covenant. So we're seeing some tie-ins to what we've talked about in other episodes. Um, But the story of redemption that I mentioned is told through the despair, the rejoicing, uh, the womanly emotions that Ruth and Naomi experienced. And that is an important part of how God created women distinctly. Uh, That's not just wiped clean for a more streamlined story. It's not like, let's just give you the facts and let's move on. No, God specifically used um, these women as a part of his story of redemption, ultimately leading to Christ. So we don't only see just the perspective of women or women being really clearly used in scripture. We also see in some places that Uh, God's words were actually interpreted by women. And that brings us a little farther into the Old Testament, into 2 Kings. And in 2 Kings, we read about an interesting king. Uh, Why don't you read verse 1 of 2 Kings 22? Yeah, verse 1 says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adia of Bozkath. So I specifically, I specifically had you read that verse because I didn't want to try to attempt <laughs> all those names. Um, but a couple interesting things, even in that verse. Number one, Josiah was eight years old. I mean, we have a nine-year-old son, and I cannot... That blows my mind to think of him being king. Yeah, that would be very scary to think about <laughs> our son being uh, the king of a nation. <laughs> There'd be a lot of Legos involved, I think. But um, the other interesting thing in there is the fact that Scripture points out um, that he was the son of... His his father's name's not mentioned in there. So it's his mother's name, who she was the daughter of those people you read. But yeah. the fact that it brings out his mother is just an, an interesting point to me because obviously his his mother had a big part in raising him in the ways of the Lord. And that's going to play out in his life uh, later, we're going to see. So um, during his time, I almost said in office, but I guess that's not what you would call a king. During his time as king, mm-hmm. um, they were doing some restoration of the, the temple. And several servants found the book of the law that had been lost in the temple and they brought it to Josiah. And in verse 13, we see what uh, Josiah, uh, how he responds to these servants. Do you want to read that one? Yeah. He says, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Right. So if we stop there, we see that Josiah obviously realizes that this is a big deal. This lost book of the law, he realizes that the the people of Israel have not been following this law, or the people uh, of Judah haven't been following the law. The wrath of the Lord is going to be kindled against them. So he says something needs to be done. So then that's where it progresses, and we're going to see what is done and how women have a part in this. Can you keep reading all the way down to verse 20? Yeah, and also as we look at this passage, just going back to what we've looked at this season, taking us right back to that to the Mosaic Covenant, right. that um, the 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 terms of this covenant that if they are going to experience blessing from God, they're to follow God's law. 
or cursing, uh, they will, if they disregard God's law and, and they uncover it and they see, boy, they are, they are in for the curses. Yeah, they're in so, hot water. <laughs> so verse 14 says, so Hilkiah, the priest of, ah, there you go with the words, Ahikam and Akbar and Shaphan and Asiah <laughs> went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. <laughs> Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they talked with her. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands." Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. Isn't that an interesting passage? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, if I could, if I were standing in front of a classroom and I said, raise your hands if you've ever heard of Huldah before, probably not many hands would, would raise, at least not as many as if I said Ruth or Esther or Mary. Um, she isn't as well known in scripture, but man, does she have an important part um, in interpreting God's word. Josiah obviously had these certain servants take what they had found to her, and she had the opportunity to to prophesy or inter, in, interpret what Josiah should do, and this was going to direct the the course of action for an entire nation. So we won't dwell there too long because there's so much you could unpack. But I just I just want to bring out the point that even God's words are interpreted by women throughout Scripture. Yeah, and then we get to uh, a very important figure uh, figure in the Bible that. Uh, probably most of our listeners are familiar with, and that's Hannah. Right. Hannah um, kind of gives another interesting point. Not only were the words of scripture um, interpreted by women, not only were women's stories used in important ways throughout scripture, but sometimes exact words of women became scripture. Uh, so uh, again, if you know the story of Hannah, she was... Um, she had prayed for so long for a son and God had given her um, this this answer to her prayer. In 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10, we read just a really beautiful poem of praise. Um, do you have that open? I'm not quite there yet. Yeah, I, I have to read it. That. Go ahead. Uh, Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble uh, bind on strength. 
Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Isn't that, that a beautiful poem of praise that she's that she's praying here? Um, she's thanking God for his answer to prayer and giving her a son and is now returning him to the Lord as she leaves him at, at the temple um, to be able to serve God there in, in keeping of her promise to, to what she said to God if he, if he answered her prayer. Yeah, and, and you see here a prayer that, that's filled with theology yes. of who God is and what he does. So you can see again that um, the, the, the importance of women knowing God, knowing his word, knowing his actions. In fact, uh, this prayer um, in 1 Samuel chapter 2 is actually setting the, 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 the tone um, for all of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Um, that this is what God does, and, and the kings, therefore, that are to lead God's people are to walk in humility before the Lord, uh, because God is the true king who gives strength, and who will give strength, verse 10 talks about, he will exalt the horn of, of his anointed, and of course, his anointed king, ultimately being that David figure, um, that is God's chosen king. We see, we see the, the, the complete opposite of this description with Israel's first king, who is Saul. And, and, and the kings that come after David, we see disobedience. But um, this is the tone that's set for the rest of First and Second Samuel and, and really culminates in Christ, we'll see, that, um, that God is the one that exalts, that that. God's king is to walk in humility. Right. And, and the fact that um, Hannah knows all this, um, the fact that she was willing to sacrifice her son to, to temple service um, shows that she, just like we talked about, goodness, I've lost track, uh, episode one, two, three, somewhere in there, <laughs> we talked about knowing God with our mind and our heart and that, that combination. She knew the character of God. She loved who that God was, and then that led to um, her action in offering up her son, and like you said, setting up kind of the trajectory for the entire book here. Her very prayer is quoted as a part of inspired scripture, and that um, prayer is actually very similar. Uh, Mary, later on in the New Testament, and Luke actually um, quotes a very similar prayer herself. Um, we see that, that Mary and what's known as her Magnificat um, in Luke chapter 1, um, it sounds very familiar. And um, I don't want to take too much of our time, but I do think it's cool to read these two kind of in parallel. So I've got Luke 1 open, verse 46 says, And Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. 
And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humblest estate of his servant. For behold, from now all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So once again, we see that knowledge of Old Testament story stories of Old Testament scripture and the uh, essence of God's character in what is inspired scripture. Yeah, and and like you said, you see the parallel here with with Hannah's prayer mm-hmm. and, and just the tying of scripture together that that here we have uh, Hannah's prayer setting the kind of the 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 ideal attitude for 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 Israel's king and then we see Mary's prayer here. Uh, setting up for the the ultimate reality, right. the fulfillment that comes in in King Jesus. Yes, again, we're seeing those threads um, tied together throughout all of Scripture. So now that we are in the New Testament, that leads us to um, God and how He used women and their knowledge of Scripture um, in what we would call um, this this. Uh, time of the new covenant once the church has been created and that that brings us to the book of acts we see the holy spirit and the early church members we're not going to take the time to look at all the passages because this could be a whole episode in and of itself but the gospel is going to be spreading to both men and women alike Um, in fact the book of acts uses that phrase quite often both men and women Um, and they are going to become part of local churches we read of many who serve and teach in this new context under this new covenant, God obviously wants to continue using women in this grand story of redemption that he's continuing to write. We think of in Acts 9, uh, Dorcas, who was raised from the dead and then a part of the church. Uh, Mary, the mother of John Mark in Acts 12, she hosted a church in her home. Uh, I love the story when uh, Peter is released from jail and he goes to um, knock on the door to, to tell the church that he has been released. And Rhoda, the servant girl, came and answered the door for Peter. That's in Acts 12 as well. Uh, Lydia is another important woman used in the story of scripture in Acts 16. She became a very important friend to Paul's ministry, um, both because of her wealth and her status there in the city of Philippi, but also because of her desire to be a part of the spreading of God's word um, in and around her region. Another one that pops into my mind is in Acts 18. We read of Priscilla. Uh, She ministered and worked alongside her husband Aquila. Uh, She even had the opportunity to discuss scripture and help train Apollos for his gospel ministry. So those uh, is just a quick, quick overview of several of the women that were really important in that early church period. Yeah, uh, Priscilla really stands out to me that um, here Apollos, who was kind of this uh, grand orator, he -hmm. he was a very uh, persuasive and polished speaker. And and her husband Aquila and Priscilla, they, they talked to him that you know your message is not yet complete you're you're pre- you're you're preaching the baptism of John but but more has come since then and and we even see Apollos's uh willingness to 
um, to be corrected and to, to receive instruction from both Aquila and Priscilla. Right. So what a vital role that they both had together. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't a, well, I'm going to listen to Aquila, but not Priscilla uh, type attitude or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one more that, that I thought of was uh, Phoebe um, in, in Romans 16 and verse 1, uh, Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So again, just more evidence just of how crucial uh, women are uh, to to the uh, redemptive story we read from Genesis to Revelation, but also how crucial women are in the life of the church. Right, right. And so hopefully that makes the point then from Scripture that that the Bible isn't for men only. If God is using women in such key ways, then it can't be for women only. Um, even after the completion of Scripture, uh, we see women in um, early church history past what we have in Scripture. Uh, we see women who were really captivated, captivated by the gospel, who knew God's word so well that they were even willing to die for it. Some of the early martyrs of the church uh, were women. Uh, one that you may have heard of is uh, Perpetua, and really not much is known about her, her life, or her story, but we do know uh, that she was 22 years old. She was a nursing mother at the time that she died for her faith. Um, the story goes that she also um, died alongside her servant as well, who died for her faith. So these women obviously needed to know, I mean, you're not going to die for something that you don't know and you're not convinced by and you're not passionate for. Yeah, um, yeah. So that that story always kind of stops me in my tracks a little bit, just imagining being a nursing mom at 22 years old and being willing to die for my faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, I uh, bought a book as well that's called The Handbook of Women Biblical Interpreters, and um, it includes about 140 different women uh, and just their part in interpreting scripture. I, I wasn't going to start going through that list because there's so many interesting women in there, um, but, and, and I honestly wouldn't even agree with all of them theologically and their perspectives on scripture, but um, that's just one book with 140 women who desired to know scripture, who decided to that they were called to add to the church through their study of scripture. Um, and those are the people that were recorded in one book. Imagine all of the other uh, millions of women who are studying scripture privately and knowing God's word and teaching it to their families and local contexts. Yeah, it, 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 uh, a book like that, it, it just reinforces, you know, this question that we're asking, is the Bible for men only? Uh, no, it's not. Women are called to know God's word as well. Uh, like you said, whether in, in in a book like that, you're going to agree with the perspectives or the approaches of all 140 women right. or not, uh, the, 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 the reality is there is that both men and women are called to know God's word. Exactly. Right. So we want to kind of close this episode with just talking through a couple practical points. If, if it's true that the Bible is not for men only, um, if the Bible is is for men and women together, then how does that practically play out in the local context of our families and our churches? Um, I think the first point to kind of bring out is that there is a difference between the importance of an understanding of doctrine versus the application of that 
doctrine. And we've talked about this in, in previous episodes, so we won't dwell on this point too much. Um, but I have noticed, just in my context as a woman, that very oftentimes certain Bible studies and books are marketed to women that include kind of a shallower version of Bible study. Oftentimes it's a, a topical kind of approach, uh, kind of like we've talked in earlier episodes, a kind of, um, what have we said, like a cherry picking, kind of like, here, let's just study this this verse and see how it applies to your life as a Lots woman. Lots of topical, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think that that's a wrong approach. I think it's uh, reinforcing what we talked about at the beginning, that women are kind of off the hook, that, uh, well, we don't need to know quite as much. We'll leave that for the pastors. Um, but, oh, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to reiterate that. Um, you know, even uh, just even in, minis- in ministry circles and, and, and ministering to, to, to people, um, th- there's, there's obstacles on, for both men and women, but it almost seems like uh, for men, it's kind of, well, I know I need to know God's word more, but I either don't want to do it or I'm just not interested in it. And one of the obstacles for, for women that they have, that women have to overcome is that idea that we've really been trying to, to talk about the whole episode. Well, it's just really not for me. Mm-hmm. So there is a struggle for both men and women to know God's word, sure. but there might be different nuances of that struggle that have to be addressed. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And I, I believe that men, or excuse me, women are called to know just as much as men um, in God's word. Women should know difficult concepts like justification or election or restoration, sanctification. Those should be terms that women are just as familiar with as the, the pastors or the seminary teachers or, or elders in a church context. Yeah, well, I mean, what an asset that would be to the church body. That that yes, and and our theological um, our theological persuasion uh, that that we see the Bible as uh, elders are are men only, uh, but but still having a, a church body that is seeking to know God's word more, of having that confidence that there are both men and women in the local church that know these theological concepts and know God's word to be able to equip one another. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a lopsided thing um, exactly. that, you know, w- what what a product that would be for a healthy church. Uh, continuing on that thought, would you say then, though, that, that there is a difference, though, between how men and women would apply that doctrine? Is that what brings a fullness to the church body? Yeah, I think, I think uh, um, you know, we're... we're uh, theological instruction or theological interpretation is not tied to the church in the sense that um, the church is determining for everyone uh, what a passage means. Um, in, in, in the case, for instance, of even the Catholic Church, where mm-hmm. you know we have we have this overarching authority in the Pope, uh, believers interpret God's word. But the safety of interpretation in the context of church community is um, uh, it, it's how we make sure that we're not going off on a mm-hmm. tangent or we're going way off. And, and there's, there's that strength. There's also the strength of even application or the significance of a passage 
uh, or implications of a passage that's, that men bring to the table and that women um, bring to the table. And we need to hear uh, both perspectives of this, of, um, you know, hearing, well, boy, I never, I've never really considered that, that implication of what the passage is saying um, and how that may apply differently in a woman's life than a man's life, but that helps us in seeing that full picture. Right, and you could take that even farther down in more detail. I mean, a, a certain passage could be applied to a certain woman's life differently than another woman in that same Bible study because of life circumstances. Um, but I think you're exactly right. Um, and do you think that, it, in speaking on that topic, do you think there's a benefit to specifically um, uh, co-ed studies, having men and women together? Do you think that there's a place for having separate men's studies and women's studies? I know my answer, but I was, I was wondering what you, what you thought. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's a place for, um, for joint studies. I mean, really, that's what we're doing every Sunday morning sure. when, when the church gathers, is that uh, we are together, we're gleaning God's word because God's word, the truths in God's word, uh, are both for men and women. Um, there, there's a place as well for men only, women only studies, um, where there's opportunity for maybe greater openness and, and communicating um, struggles that would be appropriate for a men only or a women only audience, um, addressing certain issues that are um, that are tied to the text in, in a Bible study. Um, dealing with specific sins or struggles of a, of of particularly of men or women that mm-hmm. that you'd want to discuss in in um, in separate studies. Uh, so so there are still place a place for both. I think one of the dangers is though is that when we simply go to women's Bible studies and it's it's simply topical it's it's lighter things that that maybe those lessons are even good but after a while are we giving the the idea that getting rolling up our sleeves getting into scripture well that's not really for women mm-hmm. yeah i would say one of my biggest pet peeves is when somebody is a part of a group that is studying a book written by a human being <laughs> um, and they call it a bible study i'll just say that right out that's one of my pet peeves that's a it's a book club or a book study, but it's not a Bible study. Uh, We need to roll up our sleeves and get into actual scripture. I totally agree with you. I think there's places for for both um, co-ed studies and gender-specific studies. Um, I think just to kind of sum it all up to answer this question, I think all believers have a stewardship to know God's word, to love God's word, and we will uh, answer for that stewardship. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Uh, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Why? Rightly handling the word of truth. Uh, So that doesn't say, uh, men, make sure you rightly handle the word of God. It doesn't say that just specifically to women. It says uh, to all of us as believers, do your best to present yourself to God. Um, rightly handling the word of truth. So I think that's a calling to you as a man, me as a woman, and hopefully we can edify one another in that, in that journey to know God's word. 
That's right. And, and hopefully, uh, we do have men that are listening to this episode. Hopefully, when you saw the title, is the Bible for men only, and we, we started talking about ladies, you didn't uh, just uh, tune this episode out. Uh, but, we, you know, we could have a whole episode for men as well that are we taking as men um, the the role God has given us to to biblically lead our homes and to 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 do that uh, in a way consistent with the Bible and to know the Bible uh, because there's a lot of excuses that men make too for not knowing God's word uh, but we wanted to center in on um, sometimes the intimidation or uh, that 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 women can have of. I don't really know, need to know the scriptures. That's just for the men because they're kind of the elders of the church. Uh, we want to we want to sweep away that myth and uh, and show that, as Rachel said, we are all to be diligent to present ourselves a worker to God that rightly handles the word of truth. Right. And hopefully, like we mentioned way back in our first episode when we were introducing it, hopefully this season has been something that even men and women as as couples or as friends have been able to listen to together and and discuss. I think that's why we had the desire to do this together too, is there's something really neat about studying God's word um, maybe separately as men and women and then coming together and discussing that. Um, it brings just a unity to your marriage, to the church context. Um, it's a really beautiful thing to be able to study God's word um, all together as the family of God. So so hopefully that encourages you to do that as well as that, we wrap up the season. Yeah, that's right. And that this brings us to the end of season one. Uh, again, I hope that this season's been a blessing to you. Uh, please uh, feel free to email us or write us with uh, any questions um, that we could address in future episodes. Our email is knowandlovepodcast at gmail.com. I think there's another, uh, we have a Facebook page. You can also write questions. Um, but until we uh, meet again, may you be filled with the love and peace of Christ. You've been listening to the Know and Love podcast with Adam and Rachel Pereira. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe on any of the apps that you use for your podcast listening, like iTunes or Spotify. That way, when the next episode drops, you'll be able to have it automatically on your device. Also, make sure to contact us with any questions or feedback on our website, knowandlovepodcast.com. We love hearing from you because it helps us shape the direction and the content of any future episodes.